Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Yachtson Audibles podcast. Matt Pramer, Scopel, Jared Mack on your Thursday edition of the show. We are almost to kickoff, almost to game day. Uh, it's a big game. Um, Oregon is eighth in the country. Utah is 13th in the country. The Ducks are six and a half point favorites, six point favorites going into this one. Uh, you look at the past four conference champions, it's these four te- these two teams. They've each won it twice in the last four years. Uh, Utah, I believe, has played in the conference championship game dating back outside of the COVID season of 2020, dating back to 2018, 18, 19, 21, 22. Um, it, it's a game that's where I'm going to start here. It's a game that's big, but yet it doesn't even come close, in my opinion, to the hype of Oregon-Washington. Maybe that's the rivalry factor um, between those two schools. Game day is going to be here uh, in Salt Lake City for this game. But we've talked about it when we go to interviews, and like no one's like disrespecting or overlooking Utah, but it just feels just different. It doesn't – you know, this is – a the biggest game of the week, and yet it doesn't carry the same weight, and that's just kind of confusing to me. I don't know if that's hit you guys at all, if you thought about that at all. It just doesn't seem like a, as ne- nearly as much buzz as two weeks ago at Washington. Yeah, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it in those terms um, in terms of comparing it. Um, I don't think you're wrong. Um, and I think, obviously, you, you, you touched on the rivalry component of it with, with Oregon and Washington and what that means. Um I think I do think, and, and this is probably unfair because, as we'll talk about in this podcast, Utah has really performed well this year. I, I do think Utah being without Cam Rising and the way that they lost to Oregon State has probably diminished some of the like kind of the national buzz in terms of what they are. But like I, this game should mean a lot. Like I hope it feels like it means a lot. And reading the message board and the YouTube comments, it seems like Oregon and Utah fans are both really excited about this game um, and, and have a lot of mutual respect for each other in terms of the programs. Um, and maybe that's just part of it too, is that like <laughs> part of the Oregon Washington buildup is just the amount of disdain and dislike for these two those two programs where Utah and Oregon have, you know, some shared history of games going, you know, Oregon knocks Utah out of um the college football playoff race in nineteen. Obviously Utah does the same in twenty-one. Um Last year, it looks like Oregon knocks Utah out of the conference championship race. Of course, Utah ends up still going because of how things played out after. But, like, these games always mean a lot. And I still think that's the case this year where, like, really the loser of this game is, is going to have a really tough road to make a conference championship and is, of course, completely eliminated from a college football playoff standpoint. And the winner puts themselves in a pretty good spot. Um, obviously, nothing guaranteed, but a pretty good spot to be one of those two teams in Las Vegas um, in the early week of December. So, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it does feel a little bit less, but I think it shouldn't. I mean, I think I think this game should feel really significant because this is this is aside from Washington, this has been the biggest rival for Oregon. I'm not saying it's it shouldn't be 
Right. I just I don't know, just a weird vibe around this week. Yeah, I think it just goes from more of a national perspective of how we feel about this, the media that we consume. And I don't want to get all, you know, like uh, theoretical on everybody here on the podcast, but the Washington Oregon game had better storylines. I think it's right. just as simple as that. Bonex versus Michael Penix. It's a real, it's a longtime rivalry. Oregon and Utah have been rivals for, you know, like as since I've been in college and a little bit further, like earlier than that, but it's really picked up in the last five years. Um, and that's that's great. That's a budding new rivalry, just as the end of the Pac-12 starts. So even better. Um, but the Washington Oregon game, that's a real rivalry game. Michael Penix, Bonix, Heisman hopefuls, Heisman candidates, a top ten matchup, mind you. Even though Utah Utah's thirteenth, it means a lot more when you're eight and nine, or, or excuse me, seven and eight, or whatever they were uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, just a grander stage. Uh, on ABC, maybe it's different if it's on Fox. I don't know. But they got the A-teams regardless. It's still a ginormous game, don't get me wrong. Um, and from like the Oregon perspective of how players are reacting, yeah, I think it's – I think it's. I don't know. They didn't have too much big of a reaction for the Washington week either. You know, this is just another game for them. That's what Dan always says. It's like, oh, the, the, the next game or is the biggest game. Like every game means exactly the same, which – it's a good perspective to have if you're a football coach, but clearly he's you know lying to us because there are games that mean more than other games. Portland State did not mean as much as this matchup this weekend will mean, um, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I think everybody has been pretty ho hum, subdued even even during the Washington week. Um, maybe we just got more exciting athletes to talk during the Washington week than we have yeah. this week. No disrespect to. Uh, those who we did talk to, and you can find out who we did by going on our website and you know, connecting the dots, Pepe Silva style. But um, yeah, no, I think it's just uh, it's just kind of the state of the program. No, 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 like not too many highs, not too many lows. Maybe it's just the for me. Maybe for me, it's just the impending defensive slugfest that we're gonna get. Whereas Washington week, it was oh boy, it's gonna be a shootout. And look, I. Sure. Offense, you know, offensive shootouts are way more exciting than defensive shootouts for most people. I know there are those psychos out there that sit down and I, I mean, yeah, I'm one of them. Love a seven Hello. to three victory. Uh, I do. I love performance. Iowa. <laughs> um, but maybe that, maybe that's it. Because look, both these defenses are elite. Dan Lanning came out and said, like, this is the one that he respects the most because of what they do. Uh, they're very similar in terms of just how they suffocate, you know, whoever they play. Um, they're built kind of the same ways. And this was the case, too, back when Mario Cristobal was the head coach. You know, strength on strength. And, you know, we're going to get better defensive performances this week than we'll see probably the rest of the, of the year, um, maybe when they play Oregon State um, from an Oregon perspective. But you, you look across the board, and it's like you, you have to be prepared for – Look, Oregon's averaging 550 yards. That's probably not going to happen. No, it would probably it would it would probably be a shock if they hit 450 or or 485 yards. Um, you know, asking Bo Nix to throw for 325 feels like that's going to be a, 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 a very high bar that that's going to be tough to reach. Oregon averages, you know, I can't remember the exact point total per game, but they're one of the highest scoring teams in the country. And to think that they're going to score 45 in this game feels outrageous. Um, 
and it's it's going to be a, a clash and there's going to be a bunch of storylines to watch i i'm i don't know about you guys but i i am really curious to see how oregon blocks ellis of utah um leads the conference in sacks with 10 is a tremendous edge player came on last season for the Utes and we've seen Oregon's offensive tackles in the past have some struggles. Um, we, we, whether it's pre-snap with false starts at Texas tech um, we, or whether it's like last week where a, a Johnny Cornelius had like four or five mistakes on his part. Now, some of them were, you know, RPOs and he was downfield on a, on a, on a, th- on a throw thinking they had ran the football, but, Oregon's going to be facing one of the elite pass rushers in the conference in the country. They're going to be playing in a hostile environment that has to be accounted for. And we've seen Oregon's tackles kind of at times, not the entire season because they played really well other times, but at times show some weaknesses. You know, Bo Nix could get hit quite a bit in this game. He probably will get hit quite a bit in this game, whether those are sacks or pressures. And I think I think a lot of that could be he could get hit on runs too. I, I yes. we'll get to predictions later, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bo is a little bit more involved in the run game. Um, yeah, no, I I mean I think it is one of the this will be one of the kind of folk, things to focus on for me is you know kind of how does Oregon withstand what Utah does up front? We've talked all season about how good this offensive line has been despite all of the you know personnel changes from a year ago, um, new tackles one new guard, new center. Um, I mean, that's that's not nothing. And they've held up really, really well. But this will undoubtedly be the biggest test today, without question. And Utah is going to be, I think, undoubtedly the best defensive front Oregon will face in conference play all season. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so I, I, I'm curious about that part, just because I think if we're, we're talking about kind of the path to victory for Oregon centered around a quick start. And if they start slow, and some of this is what we've seen against Texas Tech, we saw it last week, even a little bit against Washington State, where you get in your own way, you slow down drives, maybe you you, you kill your own momentum and you're forced to punt or settle for field goals, et cetera, et cetera. That's the path to keeping the game mucky enough for the Utes to kind of hang around. Because I think if Oregon comes out and plays an A-plus first half offensively, and just scores touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, like the Utes aren't going to be able to withstand. And obviously I don't expect that Oregon's going to like go five for five in the first half with touchdowns. That's, that's extremely unlikely, but if they're able to score and have some success early and the offensive line's able to do its job, like that's, again, that's the recipe for, for success. But if there are to Matt's point hiccups, whether it be pre-snap, whether it be post-snap managing Ellis, managing all the different rush components that they have there, um, Fillinger, some of these other guys like that's, that's where this one becomes a little bit of a different sort of game for Oregon. So um, I do think it starts there. And then on the other side, I know, Jared, you pulled this up, so I'll let you kind of share some of this. But USC's defense was able to really impact Utah's front, and the pass blocking was kind of put in a spot where you went, like, that's kind of unusual for Utah to be struggling as much as they were up there. So that's, an, I think, on the other on the flip side, when Oregon's defensive front is on the field, is, is what can they do to, to even impact Bryson Barnes and that Utah offense more? For sure. I wanted to quickly touch on Jonah Ellis. I think he's going to be likely Connerly's guy to deal with on Saturday afternoon. Um, he's mostly at the right outside linebacker position, um, which is the, the reverse of the offensive line. So that means it's going to be left tackle. Um, but he's been, he was pretty multiple against USC. I was looking at his snaps by position the other day. He played 
like 28 snaps of right, 17 out, uh, 17 at left outside linebacker, some defensive line uh, buzz too. But yeah, he's 6'2", 246. I don't know. He's not going to really be putting a hand down and going to work there. He's going to use his speed and his athleticism get around the edge. But anywho, um, going back to Utah's offensive line, um, just some – some interesting stats. I hadn't really looked like looked at this before this week, and maybe that's just because, well, they are playing Utah, so I might as well do some deep digging. But um, they've allowed 80 pressures this year. It's a good amount. Uh, Spencer Fano, who's a true freshman, who uh, an Oregon target, um, as starting at uh, left tackle this season for for Utah, um, has a lot of team high and uh, at 14 pressures total this year. Um, there seems to be an opportunity for Oregon's defensive front to get to the quarterback. Now, we did say that last week against Washington State. All three of us were very adamant towards the fact that this could be a repeat performance like it was against Colorado. It was not. Um, they did end up having a good amount of sacks, but uh, Cam Ward was so very squirrely. Six sacks, to be precise. Thank you, Eric. Um, very squirrely lad. Uh, threw for over 400 yards, so... Uh, it wasn't really as similar as the Colorado defensive performance where they held the entire team to under, I think, uh, was it 201 yards, 200 yards, whatever it was. But this is a case where Utah's offensive line, at least by the numbers, doesn't look great. Now, I've watched a lot of Utah games. Um, I enjoy watching Utah games. They're probably like my second favorite team to watch in the Pac-12. Um, I test-wise, doesn't look terrible. I still feel like they hold true. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job, like even against Florida way back when. That was week one, so they've clearly developed since then. But um, again, this come this sometimes the pass blocking grades always kind of come down to the quarterback. Like if they are inexperienced and run into tackles or run into sacks, then that's going to harm the the grades of the offensive linemen. And Bryson Barnes is getting there. He needs a lot more games, but uh, he's slowly progressing through his experience in college football. Um, he's getting more comfortable in the pocket. So um, I think there's opportunities here for Oregon to go about and uh, get to the get to the quarterback and apply pressure. Um, I'm just frankly, I'm, I'm if I'm Oregon, I'm more concerned that they just try their hardest not to throw the ball because yeah. I again, I've, I've talked about this multiple times now on this podcast where. I'm not entirely sure how good Oregon's run defense is. And I still don't because um, they haven't really played a team this year that's any good at running the ball. Yet some of the teams looked not bad at running the ball. And maybe the implementation of Justin Jacobs at the at the interior linebacker position is going to help that run defense. And we'll definitely be finding out on Saturday. Um, but can he save it? Because – Utah's offensive line, for as maybe as bad as they look on our, our friends at Pro Football Focus, um, they look pretty good in, in run blocking. And uh, they always have been. And all these previous meetings between Oregon and Utah has been a lot of run-heavy offenses, and they've done a good job at that. So, again, that is uh, that's the thing I'm most intrigued about seeing uh, heading into Saturday. But this pass rush potential for Oregon is there. Um, they got a good line, but – We'll see, we'll see what the protection looks like for Utah because they always do a good good job of game planning every single game for a, an opposing team's defense. I feel like, for me, the storyline for this game is going to be Oregon's going to stack the box, 
And like Jared said, they're going to straight up dare Utah to throw the football and beat you in one-on-one coverage. You know, they've only thrown seven total touchdowns this season. Um, They've got some talent at the receiver spot. Money Parks is their deep threat. Um, Landon King has kind of emerged as their new tight end, if you will, the last couple weeks with a couple touchdowns. Um, But they don't have – it's, their passing game isn't isn't something that you look at and go, oh my god, this is going to be scary. How do we stop this? Right. Oregon's played some really good pass offense. This is not one. Yes. Of them. Yes. And Oregon, you know, I I, I really think this game's going to be decided upon can can or how many guys can Oregon put into the box and get away with to and still be able to defend the pass? Like if if they can basically put eight guys in the box and just dare Utah to throw the football with three defensive backs truly in the, you know, preparing for the pass. And you're going to have guys cover out of the backfield and whatnot. But like if they put eight guys in the box and they can contain Utah's rushing attack, I just don't know how Utah is going to be able to move the football effectively without winning these one-on-one situations. And I don't know if they can, but I don't know if like to Jared's point, I don't know if Oregon can consistently stop, this rushing attack, even with eight guys in, in the box, Jaquindon Jackson is a running back they haven't faced all year. He's like 6'2", 230 pounds. And then you throw in now the element of Sione Vaki at, from safety to, to running back, and they've got some different types of dudes that can do different types of things. Uh, Utah killed USC with the wheel route with Vaki. Alex Grinch said, like, wow, we've not seen that on film, and then fans went and found, like, clips of them running the wheel route all all game the previous game against cal um but th- their running backs are different are different oh. styles and they're really talented and that to me is just where this game is to be won or lost can can oregon load the box with as many guys to get away with defending the pass and stop the run and to sort of speak kind of a, a nugget here that sort of illustrates kind of how why you could be uncertain about oregon's run defense and i think from a personnel perspective before i even mention this like i i really like what oregon has in the in its front seven right now especially with jacobs this feels like a perfect game for him to play like 40 to 50 snaps just because of the mm-hmm. type of opponent you're playing this is as casey rogers said as close as you get to big 10 football on the west coast justin jacobs obviously cut his teeth at iowa in the big 10 so there's um, some parallels there um but the point i was going to make is the oregon's played six fbs opponents this year five of them are in the um or 100th or worst or worse, I should say, um, against the run or running the football this year. And three of them are among the seven worst rush offenses in the country, including Hawaii, which is last. Now, I'm, I'm not including efficiency as much as I'm talking about total yardage, which is, of course, how you kind of measure that Oregon is the 12th best mm-hmm. um, yeah. rush defense. Mm-hmm. I think Oregon is 26th in terms of rush efficiency, which is yards per carry. Um, but my point is, Oregon's played six teams that really matter this year. Only Texas Tech is like a good run offense. I think they're like in the top 50. The other five are all like pretty bad rush offenses. And three of them are like three of the worst 10 in the country. So that that is kind of one of the things you have to have a consideration of for when you look at the numbers. Um, because again, Oregon statistically, if you were to just to pull the to pull, pull up the stats, you'd say, wow, like this is going to be good on good without question. Like this Oregon defense against the run is one of the best in the country. This Utah rush offense is, is one of the more um 
consistent. They don't really have a lot of explosive plays if you go look through the numbers, but um, they are extremely committed to the run, very successful at the run. There's a reason Jaquindon Jackson like 20 or more carries the last two weeks, and those are both wins. Um, and you go, oh, this is going to be a, a total slugfest here. I still think it will be, but to Jared and Matt's point as well, like, I also think you have to acknowledge like Oregon really just hasn't faced any, like this is going to be the real measuring stick for, for how good this mm -hmm. run defense really is. Shout out to uh, late kick for that stat too, Eric. You see that? I, I, I saw that's, that's how I started the research and then pulled out the, the bottom part. But yeah, I, I heard him say that too. Yeah, no, it's a good stat. Um, and I think I, I agree with you. It's a true barometer of what it's going to be like. It's a little different from how Oregon played Utah last season because everybody knew that Cam Rising was, wasn't going to be running the ball because he was hurt uh, earlier in the season in 2022. Um, I feel like it's more similar to, to Oregon State last season where they just started to run the ball. And Oregon's rush defense heading into that game was one of the best in the Pac-12, if not the best. I don't remember off the top of my head. I think, I think they were third is my recollection. Sure. And uh, they were not third, second, or first after the game. Sure. And I'm not I'm not saying that that's going to happen again, but hear me out. Utah, if they if they feel like they don't have to throw the ball at all to score, they're not going to throw the ball. Their lowest uh, passing yard this year was a 14 to seven win against UCLA, where they threw 17 times for 117 yards, ran for 102. So a really ugly game. But B, if they don't feel like they need to throw the ball, they're not. And Oregon, I think, knows that. So maybe they do try to stack the box. I just – Utah always is a – they always pull out, like, trick plays, just, like, cute little cute little plays to the sidelines here or there in situations like these where everybody's like, oh, they're going to hard nose, physical, just destroy the front of your football team type. But then they come out, little flea flicker, little wide receiver pass, something like that. So uh, they're going to stay multiple. They're going to stay versatile. And uh, Oregon's going to have to adjust. But – um, I do think that this could be a big, uh, hey, this is why we went and got Justin Jacobs in the transfer portal game. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm kind of excited to see that because I love Justin Jacobs. I think he's a great linebacker. It's a shame that he's been hurt this year. I was just going to say, I feel like this is maybe a team Oregon defensively, run defensively, matches up with better. Like Utah doesn't try and motion all over the place. And they don't it try might be, and like yeah. – yeah, they don't try and like spread you out like Washington does with four or five wide receivers. And then all of a sudden, you know, motion a guy into the backfield and hand it off to Dylan Johnson. Like they're not a true spread team. They're, I don't want to call them like old school football, but like they're kind of, yeah, no, I, some of the principal like, concepts definitely are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like mid 2000s NFL football. Hey, we're going to yeah. run out the middle. Yeah, and I, I think that's into Oregon's strength defensively where, like, they've got a bunch of dudes who can play really well in the box. And if this is a game that's going to be played in the box, I think it maybe it matches up a little bit better for Oregon. And that's maybe why we could maybe see Oregon's defense perform well against the run. Like, Because I agree, like, they haven't shown it. The stats show it. You know, we I we, caught, we talked about it at Washington, like, that first half. they were They were running the ball effectively. So, you know, maybe that's something to watch. I don't know. Maybe it's not true at all, and they just get thrashed. Um, we've seen that happen before. We've gone into this game confident they were going to win, and they get blown out. I don't, I'm not confident, like super confident they're going to win. I do think they do, spoiler alert. But 
um, this is just one of those games where you have to go in and then nothing's going to be pretty. And so if you're upset that Oregon doesn't have 21 points midway through the first first half, like, yeah, you're too high of expectations, even for Oregon when they're elite. Like this is you have to acknowledge that this is a tough place to play and this is a tough team to, to move the football on. Um, do we want to take a break or do we have any offensive discussion points? I, I, just, I don't know. If, if Jared has an offensive discussion point, I had a quick question I wanted to pose. But um. Yeah. Um, I, I think the only offensive discussion point for me is is handling the pass rush, which we kind of touched on with Joan Ellis. Yeah. Um, and then just can I, can anybody other than Troy Franklin against a good defense perform well? That's, that's the other question mark I've had because it seems like in these bigger games, like Troy Franklin gets his, which is great, but uh, Oregon's going to need a number two. This, this week around. Because if Utah's smart, they just go and double-team Troy every single down. And that's when Tez Johnson or, or Gary Bryant, who's been very limited in the past game recently, uh, Treshawn Holden as well, also very limited in the past game, just need one of those guys to step up and provide Bo Nix another option to throw to. Because against Washington, it got a little hairy there for a second where it's just, it was Troy or bust, basically, on, on a lot of passing downs. So that was my other offensive uh, discussion point real quick. It's a good one. Um, against Washington State, we saw Tez emerge with with Troy having quote unquote a down game. He saw like four catches for eighty yards. Yeah, but um, I just yeah. No, you're right. Just against I, a better I, better squad. Yeah, against a better defense. How does that look? Oh, the the so the, the question I wanted to pose was this: like, in terms of like we're gonna get we're gonna about to do predictions after the break. I think I think of the teams Oregon has played this year. Utah is like the most difficult one to sort of predict an outcome against because if you really look through all of this, like there's an outcome where you just say. Like Oregon seems like they should be better in a lot of these areas that are are really significant. But then I also go, it's at Utah, it's Kyle Whittingham. These guys just don't turn in duds. So like, you know, you could be, you could tell me just based upon the certain matchups on the field, like, oh yeah, Oregon should be able to take advantage of that and and win convincingly. But you, I would also feel silly predicting that. So I just my, my question, I guess, is like, do you find Utah to be kind of one of the more difficult teams? to talk about in terms of what you're getting from them in this particular matchup. Not that you think Utah is an inconsistent team, but just like the the highs and the lows of what they can be. And I bring that up in part because Matt and I were at a, a sports bar down in the Bay Area when Oregon played at, or sorry, when Utah played at Oregon State. And it was just really ugly. And you watched the, mm-hmm. the, way, the way they played Baylor and they snuck that one out. That was a really ugly football game. They were very fortunate to win. At the same time, I also just watched them score a lot of points against USC. And I know USC is not very good defensively. But, <laughs> Who hasn't? I, but but that offense looked a lot more effective. So my, my point is really like you just if you go through the games that I have yeah. watched them play this year, you, I've just seen a lot of different like I watched them look really impressive against Florida in the debut, look kind of crappy against Baylor, look really bad against Oregon State. And then these last couple of games, like, oof, that's a different animal. So it, it's a hard team for me to because I, I could convince myself we're gonna get into predictions like Oregon's gonna win like they're gonna really this is gonna be a statement game but I'm also like I'm not totally convinced that they win this game either because the Utes just always have something that they just kind of have those intrinsic values that pop up and you go man like I didn't expect that thing to happen and that was the storyline for the game they just play ugly and they win ugly that's like their brand of football we're gonna make this an ugly game and can you weather the storm to make it through it like even the twenty-four to eleven win week zero, whatever it was against Florida, like that was, was an ugly. ugly win. Yeah, like the two hundred seventy-something yards of total offense. It's bad. Like that was ugly. I mean, they just 
vice script Florida's offense. They couldn't, you know, Utah themselves struggled, you know, offensively at times. Um, yeah. That Baylor game, I remember that with Eric. And weren't they, Eric, like, didn't they have, like, seven points before that's like, six-minute mark of the fourth quarter or something crazy like they, that? They, like, they, they scored right at the very, very end. And I don't think – actually, I don't know mm-hmm. if they would scored until the last half of the fourth quarter. I think they were down 7 nothing. Yeah. So, like, even some of these impressive wins have, have been ugly. And – they have three three wins this season by less than a score, or by by a touchdown or less. Um, and, and that you know that's the sign of a good team being able to to pull out close victories and make the plays needed late to come back and win. But yeah, like I I agree, Eric. Like this is a hard team to pick because they do some things really well, but they also have some clear warts. But yet they're hands down the best coached team. In the, in the conference. I, I don't think that, in my opinion, I don't think that's, um, yeah. there's a better team that's more prepared or better developed or better in-game coached than than what Utah gets with Whittingham and his staff. Um, and, you know, that's why they win, because they play sound football. It may not be pretty football, but they, they make very few mistakes, and they play a physical brand, and they just make the game ugly. And can you win that? Yeah, I think uh, I actually think Utah games are quite easy to predict. They're going to be close. Um, they don't not show up uh, unless they're significantly better than their opponent. Uh, these games are always going to be close, and I expect another close one this weekend. I, I agree with you, Eric. Where it's like, you know, by the numbers, Oregon is a it could like there could just be a blowout if Oregon finds their rhythm on offense and scores on five of the first six trips down the field and is up like, I don't know, uh, 31 to seven at one point, like it's going to be really difficult for Utah to get back in the game or even just 21. It's hard for anybody, right? It's hard for anybody. hard for anybody, but it's incredibly hard for a team who's, you know, averaging, I had this written down here somewhere, uh, 345 yards of uh, total offense uh, per game, which is 11th in the Pac-12. Um, and that's after two weeks of 440 plus yard games against Cal and USC. Um, so th- yeah, I can see that perspective and I'm not saying it won't ever happen, but I'd be really surprised if it would happen because this defense is damn good. And uh, I know Oregon's offense is damn good, but you know, it's not like Oregon has played um, incredible teams defensively either this year. There's certainly been some teams that are are not good at it all, but uh, Oregon at least has shown the ability to put to move the ball in every single game, and obviously their stats are a little inflated by that Portland State game, especially at this point of the year. But you know they still put up four, 541 yards in back-to-back weeks. Um, I don't care who you're playing; that's pretty darn good. And so there is that perspective on this game, but I just don't think Utah's going to get um, kind of not blown out, but I don't think they're going to yeah. get pushed around like that. I, I, it's going to be. No, I, I, I get I, it. I know I'm you weren't saying, saying that. It, yeah, just to clarify. No, I'm, I, I understand. No, I, yeah. But I just think it's still going to be close. And that's why I think predicting Utah games, not that it's easy, but you know you're going to get an A game from Utah every time they step out on the field. They're one of the most consistent teams I've seen play under a head coach for many, many years. And I wanted to make this point earlier, but I kind of forgot. Uh, I'll bring up another question before we go to break so everybody gets to listen to our dumb voices just for a couple minutes more. Cool. Um, if Utah was 100% healthy, 
meaning Yasmin, Rising, Keithy, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. This is a top 10 team, right? Oh, yeah. No question. Top five? Maybe. Yeah, probably. They would be undefeated right now, I think. I agree. So this would be this would be a top 10 matchup. We were mm -hmm. talking about the hype around a, a program, or excuse me, a game week. That would be a hype up week. That would be a game day experience like it is going to be this week. But I just wanted to bring that up. Like, this is a good this is a good team and they're missing significantly important players. So to to Jared's point real quick about Utah always coming to play. The last time they've lost a game by more than two touchdowns, December 31st, 2019 against Texas and December 6th, 2019 against Oregon. Like they yeah. they don't they don't get blown out. Are you are you not including uh, bowl games? No, I, I did look at bowl games. Am I, am I wrong in the last Rose Bowl? Uh, they oh, yeah, lost that game. Thirty-five, twenty-one, fourteen points. Okay, by more than by more than. Yeah, no, you're right. I, I in my head, I thought that was more lopsided than that. To be honest. Yeah. Um, they just they always come to play, and everything's pretty much they always have a chance. It feels like at least going into the fourth quarter. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll start diving into uh, some bold predictions and more here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. Uh, bold prediction time. Uh, not another good week for us. Last week, collectively, we went one for 12. Um, Who got not it? Not good there. What was our main? Who was the one? Uh, I got one. Uh, one point. For, for what was the – I'm, I'm uh, I genuinely don't was remember. <laughs> four or more sacks. They had six. You got it. Mm. Yeah. Um. We also, all three of us lost on the uh, point spread. Um, we all won straight up. Oh, yeah. We all lost because Some of the late spread. Coverage. Stupid mm -hmm. Cam Ward trying to score touchdowns <laughs> in the last minute of a football game. All right. Uh, offensive team prediction here. Um, Bo Nix has been protected really well this season. He's just been sacked four times. Uh, that ranks second nationally. Um, Utes are tied for seventh with Oregon, by the way, and sacks forced this season with 25 through seven games. While I expect Bo Nix to have a good game, 
to make some big plays, I do think he's going to feel pressure. And I'm going to put down Oregon's offensive line allowing two or more sacks in this football game. That would be significant. I don't. I, I don't believe they've allowed three since Dan Lanning has arrived because I think they've allowed like ten now in nineteen games or whatever Total. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's a good one to touch on too. Um, another one of those things we talked about earlier in the show that I'm going to make a prediction based around. I think Utah has not allowed more than 146 yards rushing all season, and that was against USC last week. I think Oregon's going to be the first team over 150 on the ground against the Utes. Um, obviously Oregon has proven to be among the best rush offenses in the country. And I do think this is like, we've talked about it all week. This is one of those matchups that's really going to decide this one. I think Oregon's going to have some success running the football, uh, 150 yards on the ground or more. Um, last year, Oregon won despite, I think only rushing for, was it 59 yards? If uh, Oregon, yeah. If, if Oregon, if that's the number this year, I think it's going to be really, really unlikely that they win. Um, but I think 150 or more on Saturday. Uh, yeah, and I had the same thing. I just had 146 because it was one more than 145. So, Are you going to share um, this one? Yeah, let me look. Maybe I'll say that they went higher than uh, Weber State for passing yards at uh, 66. So, uh, I think we're just I mean, going to share this one, Eric. You know, Jared, you want an easy one. If you want an easy one, I was going to do uh, the most yards al- allowed for – or the most p- yards put up against Utah's defense. Total yards. What was the sure, number? Yeah, just, so, just so we don't share, I'll do – yeah, I'll do total total O over 401. I was going to suggest that if we did there share we it, you, you take the 146, I take 150, but because it'll probably be like 149 yards or something like that rather than <laughs> like, right, right in between. Um, but, yeah, total yards. Is Price is right, yeah. Exactly. Okay, sorry, I forgot that we did the snake thing. So, I've got Bo Nix here finishing with the highest completion percentage against uh, Utah this season um, for my offensive player prediction. Um, The highest that they actually allowed was against Florida, fun fact, uh, 70.5%. Uh, I think that was Graham Mertz who did that, 31 to 44 for 333 yards and a tut. Um, Obviously, we're very, very well aware about Nix's consistency this season. Um, I don't know what his completion percentage is right now, but it's uh, it's pretty high. It's closer, probably closer to 80 than it is to 70, if I had to guess. Uh, good preparation by me. And I think that continues this week against Utah. So highest completion percentage versus Utah this season for Bo Nix. Bo is at 78.4%. And fun fact, Graham, Mertz, 80. Graham Mertz is third nationally at 76.2. So um, Big Graham. Two of the most accurate. Wisconsin legend. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, not having his. It's been a trying season for a lot of players, I think, in, in Gainesville. Um, all right. I'm going to also do a Bo Nix prediction. And I kind of mentioned it earlier. Um, I think that they're going to need to find multiple ways to incorporate Nix in the run game, in the pass game. But I think, particularly, like, we just haven't seen Oregon be aggressive using him. I also think um, there are going to be some runs. At, based out of necessity where he is chased in the pocket because as we've talked about like this is utah front is going to cause more problems than anybody oregon's faced this year without question in terms of getting to the quarterback and and impacting throws so i think nicks is going to run 
10 or more times this game. He hasn't run more than nine all season. That was against Texas Tech. Um, I don't know. I think some of it will be design stuff just because I think they're going to want to find a way to manufacture some success and they're going to want to find a way to um, to force Utah's defense to to at least like respect the possibility that Knicks could keep it on some of these RPO plays. And we haven't seen as many RPOs this year, by the way. I don't think um, as at times a year ago, and certainly Knicks hasn't kept it very often. I think this is a game where you see him you see him keep the ball a little bit more. So I think 10 or more rushes in this game for Bo. Uh, I'm also sticking with Bo in this one. It's a Bo um, week. It's a Bo week. The most yards Utah has allowed passing in the Pac-12 game this season is 256. Um, last weekend to Caleb Williams uh, in that win over the, the Trojans. I, I think we're obviously going to see more than 256 yards passing in this game by Bo Nix. Um, 333 is the season high, which came from Florida. Um, that feels too high. I, I don't think I don't think Bo hits 300 yards passing in this game. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go uh, – he hits 265 or more and sets a, a Pac-12 high in passing yards against uh, the Utah defense this season. All right, defensive team. Um, Oregon is seventh in the country in sacks. We talked about that before. I referenced that. Um, the Utes have made a couple changes along the offensive line. We've got to do center in there. Um, they're shuffling around. They've got a true freshman at left, at left tackle and Spencer Fano. Um, I think Oregon's going to stack the box. I think we're going to see some, some blitzes when it's a clear passing down to really just get after Bryson Barnes. And uh, we're going to, we're going to see some sacks. I, I think Bo Nix gets sacked. I've already said that. I think Bryson Barnes is also going to get sacked. Um, Give me three or more sacks for this Oregon defense against Bryson Barnes, who is a sneaky, elusive player. That run mm-hmm. yeah. uh, at USC to get that first down was really impressive. He's not Cameron Ward, but he's going to be tough to get down. But I think Oregon gets him three times or more in this game. I, I really like Bryson Barnes a lot, and I, I'm really excited to see how he faces up against an Oregon front that I do think will put him under duress more than he's probably seen most Saturdays this season. Um, it's going to be really fascinating to see how he handles that. And that kind of leads to the prediction I'm making, which is that I think Oregon's defense is going to force two or more turnovers in this game. Um, Utah's only gave it away four times all year. And as we talked about on this podcast, obviously many times, Oregon's defense has really struggled to take the ball away. But I think this week's going to speak just to the randomness of how turnovers work in college football, where one of the teams, the second most, the second best team at protecting the football, which is Utah, behind Oregon, by the way, which is only at one all season, knocking on wood. Um, I think, strangely, this is just going to be a game where Oregon gets a couple turnovers, and I think those turnovers mm-hmm. are going to be really critical late. Um, again, mostly just because I'm speaking to the randomness to the fan base who are like, why aren't we forcing turnovers? Like Utah is not a matchup where it feels like they should force turnovers. I think they're going to. And obviously last week was a weekend against Washington State where they were like one of the most turnover-prone teams in the conference, and they didn't force any. So that just speaks, I think, again, to just turnovers are random. It just comes down to what's happening. And again, game script-wise, I think if Oregon is playing with a lead and Bryson Barnes is forced to do some things, it's possible he puts a ball or two up in jeopardy just trying to make a play. I like it. I mean, I've gone 0 for 4 this year in turnover predictions, so I stayed away. 
Fair enough. Um, so credit to you for having the guts to do it while I do not. Let's hope that you're right um, for the sake of our standings. Uh, <laughs> but my defensive team stat, um, I think Oregon's going to allow the most rushing yards they have all season this this week to, to Utah. That would be 175 because Texas Tech gave 174 on Oregon's head in Lubbock. Mm -hmm. um, the second highest, get this, is actually Portland State, 148. Oregon's gone, uh, what is that, maths, five straight games without allowing over 100 yards on the ground, um, which is pretty impressive. But again, like, I'm not saying that, um, you know, they're taking on Wisconsin with Monte Ball over here um, every single week. So it's been an up and down result. But when teams have had some success against Oregon running the ball, they've usually stuck with it. And I suspect that Utah will do exactly the same. And Derek's point, maybe they don't want Bryson Barnes throwing this pigskin around uh, a lot this weekend. So that's what I got. I was the most rushing yards this season, over 174. And for the defensive player of the game, or defensive player predictions, excuse me, uh, I think this is a first in the in the uh, odds and audibles prediction mm -hmm. segment of mm -hmm. our podcast. Uh, I'm doing a parlay. Okay, yeah, right. do it. Doing a three linebacker parlay. Um, <laughs> I've got Justin Jacobs over six and a half tackles, Jeffrey uh, Bossa over one and a half tackles for loss, and Jamal Hill over uh, half a sack. And I went through on uh, Caesar Sportsbook because this is totally real, and uh, it's plus four seventy eight odds. So everybody uh, have some fun there. Um, but I just yeah, like I talked about earlier, I just think that this is going to be a game um, where Oregon's linebacker play and how much bigger they got are going to be important. Like Noah Sewell probably had his best game of the season last year against Utah because that's an opponent that Noah Sewell knows what to do with and needs to stay inside the box, just kind of run downhill, go steamroll some people um, with Hill, Jacobs, Bossa, uh, even Bryce Betcher, I'm sure will get a decent amount of snaps this week. Um, I like their uh, I like their upside here, and that's why I went with the three leg parlay. Tempting numbers there too, plus four seventy eight. Did, mm -hmm. did you lay any down there? I mean, that's. No, 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 no. You can't bet on college football in Oregon, please, Eric. Yeah, what what's going on here? <laughs> I've never done that <laughs> in my life. Imagine if you have, Eric, to consider that. An yeah. No, uh, yeah. I, I ha we were of similar minds on this one. Um, I was impressed with what we saw from Justin last week. I'm going to predict who leads the team in tackles. Um, I think this is the exact kind of matchup you bring him in for, right? And then, you know, James Crepe of the Oregonian tried to, to get Dan to basically say as much on, a, on on Monday in terms of asking about bringing in transfer portal players that are a little bigger and stronger for these matchups. And, of course, Dan wasn't really thrilled with, with, with that being the takeaway for why they recruited Justin for one football game, so he didn't buy into it. But I do think there is some validity to that fact of, like, you know, mm -hmm. this, these are the type of games where you do need to be a little bigger and a little bit more physical, and, and that's what Justin is, and that's what he showed a week ago. And I think this is a game where you're going to see him play a lot. Um, he already debuted playing, I think, the second most snaps for a linebacker a week ago. I yep. think he's gonna. I think he and Jeff Boss are gonna play a ton. Um, I do agree that Jamal will probably be out there if it becomes more passing downs. But I think they're gonna try to play Justin all the time on 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 downs where it's expected to be runs, and that's gonna be a lot of the downs if it's if Utah is moving in the ball and having success. Uh, I've also got a team prediction or a. a team high leader for tackle prediction. Uh, it's not a linebacker. It's actually a safety. Evan Williams. I think we're going to get a, I don't think he's going to get 14 like he did last week 
which by the way, Bennett Williams had 14 against yep. Utah last season. Cool um, stat. Cool stat Spider-Man there. Spider-Man meme. Um, I don't think Evan's going to get 14 tackles because I think this team's built around – they've improved. And players like Justin Jacobs will eat up tackles. But I think Oregon's going to load the box. I think Evan is that player that fits this – now, to that same kind of line of questioning, I think Evan is a player that fits this type of game. Why they brought him in. Physical safety, can make tackles, can make hits. Um, he's here for you know cleaning up plays, line of scrimmage. We saw that against Cameron Ward last week. I think we're going to see that again this week uh, against Utah. So I, have, I don't have a number again, but I do have Evan Williams leading the team in tackles. I've All right, score a- prediction. Go ahead. I've got one more. I've got a side bet here. Um, somebody in the comment section, tell me what to call this because I'll do this every once in a while. My own little side bet here or prediction, Oregon will commit its second turnover of the year. Ooh. Ooh. I call it against Colorado. I've got a good feeling against Utah because um, second turnover. Is it a fumble or an interception? Uh, most likely an interception. I'll just put it like that. I just, I, I'm not sure if uh, these running backs are humanly capable of fumbling because I think they're so afraid of Carlos Lachlan that <laughs> if they fumble, <laughs> their ass is grass. So, um, interception, second turnover of the year. I have a, I have a suggestion for the name, I, and we've already used it other places, but this feels like a machination. No, we can't, we can't do that. I we wanted to call it the wacky, wavy, bet. inflatable, arm flailing tube man bet, but a long. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So someone in the comment section, help me out. All right. Uh, score predictions. Um, Utah has played a couple of the better S&P defenses in, in the nation. Um, Florida, UCLA, Oregon State, they've all struggled to score points, though, in those games. Um, they put up 24 against Florida, but it was like grinding teeth, and they scored just seven against UCLA. And Oregon State, when they've played some really bad defenses, uh, Utah has been able to score points and move the football, i.e. last week and the week before that against Cal when they scored 34 points in back-to-back weeks. Um, Their bread and butter has been to run the football, and then I think Oregon kind of matches up with that a little bit, Um, this style of of offense at least, um, how they have deployed their players on the field. So I think Oregon's going to stack the box. They're going to dare Utah to throw. And then offensively, um, they're going to have some success against Utah defensively. And then offensively, I think Bo Nix has a good game. Um, He is efficient with the football with what he does. He distributes it to his playmakers and lets them go to work. They make a couple deep shots, connect, and that leads to a game that's going to be incredibly close throughout. I don't think either team really takes a – 14 point lead in this game at any point it's always basically going to be a a one score game um but the difference is is oregon scores a couple touchdowns where utah has to settle for field goals because they get put in some third and long situations and they just can't complete the pass um so give me oregon 28 utah 20 they cover they win straight up and they win a incredibly hard fought football game i've kind of outlined all week the possibility like Oregon building a lead, playing with the lead. I don't know if this is a game where either team's really going to have control until the end. I, I, I expect this to be a pretty uh, – Matt, Matt and I's game prediction, or score predictions are like basically identical against a go team. 
I have Oregon 27, 20. Um, but I, I, here's, here's, here's what I think happens. I think, I think this game is going to be just a total slugfest and it's going to be knotted for most of the game. And I think it's going to come down to Bo Nix is going to lead a game winning drive at the end. And it's going to be a possible Heisman ish moment fail to capitalize on the Heisman moment possibility against Washington, but going against this defense with game day present, Utah hasn't lost at home since 2018, I think is the stat I saw. Um, I think this is an opportunity for Bo to make kind of a statement and lead a drive and you come away saying like, okay, he's now, at least he's got one Heisman moment. He's not the favorite by any means. He's still like, what, what is he right now? Plus 3000 or something, Matt, what was the, the gambling odds I saw? Uh, last week it was plus 3000. I, I did see another number bump him up to plus 1800. So it has improved a little bit, but hmm. you could get him at least last week, uh, last Sunday at plus 3000. So, Again, is- not, not the favorite by any means, but I think a game like this perhaps is one that creates a little bit more Bo Nix for Heisman buzz with Oregon winning 27-20. I, uh, I really wanted to make this like a 10-7 to game because I, I, I like both of these defenses a lot. <laughs> I'm a big fan of rock fights, like old school AFC North. Baltimore Ravens, Pittsburgh Steelers, like 14 to 10. And I really wanted to do that, but I do think some points will actually be scored here. Uh, so I have Oregon 31 24, um, which is an over, and it's a bit higher than my colleagues here. Uh, but I do think that Oregon's going to find a way to score. And I think Utah has been um, in a better groove at their offense recently. I still don't think that they have the explosive capabilities to keep track or keep up with Oregon. Um, so it'll all come down to whether Utah's defense can get multiple stops and or multiple turnovers to Oregon's offense. Um, and like Matt talked about, um, Bo Nix doesn't really do that. And I, I know I predicted an interception. I think that's there's going to be at least one. Uh, it would be I'd be hard pressed to see Bo Nix throwing two, three interceptions in this game. Even though I think Utah's secondary is vastly underrated, um, they're great against the rush, obviously, but. Um, you know, the, the most that they've allowed this season passing are just 333, which I know sounds like a lot, but in today's day and age in college football, yeah. not, 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 not too many. It was also the first week of the season. You know, they held Caleb Williams to let me double check here, 256 yards. That's last year's Heisman winner. That was this year's Heisman hopeful for a long time, uh, probably the number one overall pick in the draft. So this Utah secondary is vastly improved from, from week one. I think it's going to prevent a lot of, um, difficulties for Bo Nix in the passing attack and Troy Franklin as a wide receiver. But I still think that Oregon finds a way to move the ball on the ground, which is why my original uh, team offensive team stat prediction was the over 146 yards on the ground. Um, I think that Nix does just enough. Maybe he doesn't throw for 300 yards, but like Matt's prediction was over 256, I think is, you know, more than acceptable. Um, So I like Oregon to win this game. I really wanted to go like like I said, like fourteen to seven, ten to seven, fourteen to ten, because I want it to be a slugfest in my heart of hearts. I want it to be a slugfest, but I think both teams move the ball. Um, so I'll take Oregon to cover the spread of six and a half, and uh, win by seven on the over thirty-one twenty-four. Um, Eric, your Heisman update—it's all over the board. Um, Bet three sixty-five has him at twenty-five hundred. Um, Caesars has him at nine hundred. And then BetMGM has them at 1,600. 
Point Bets has them at 14 and DraftKings has them at 1300. So, I mean, if you can somehow bet 365, if you can get money on that app or betting line, whatever, do it. Plus, tw- you know, 2500 is a lot. It's really high. Caesars is the high, is the lowest at plus 900, which still feels like solid value to at least put something on it if you're going to do that type of thing. But we can't bet on college sports. So. We can't bet on college sports. So we won't be doing that. But if in a hypothetical world, we one could. Yes. Yeah, definitely. If you had like a VPN or something like that. I mean, if, none if, of us if, such, if such things exist, yeah. I mean, I'll be in Vegas in two weeks. Maybe I'll go do it. <laughs> might have already won it by then. Who knows? It's very true. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Yachts and Audible's podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to the show. Next time you hear from us, it'll be saturday evening as we recap oregon at utah from rice Eccles stadium until then you've been listening to the yachts and audibles podcast talk to you later folks peace there's a very bright shining light sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers matt damon and ben affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band u2 u2 they represent a personification of our resistance the hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva sarajevo Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.